At 23 years of age, Sean Crane was sentenced to seven years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. With nothing positive to show for his life up to that point and a massive challenge ahead, he had a decision to make. Would he give up and let the rest of his life pass him by like the first 23 did? Or could he face his fears, fight through the pain and pursue the life he always wanted? And by being selfless, it's so much easier to partake in the daily actions that people call the grind and people get fatigued and tired of it. It's like, you get to do this stuff, motherfucker. Like when you, when I was in prison, all I wanted was this right now. All I wanted was to run in the morning when it was raining out. All I wanted was to change diapers and have kids to take care of. All I wanted was to be up late after being up early, like just pursuing this vision. For me, I share the same things with my clients that work for me to this day. It's I get to, like this is a responsibility and I'm gonna show up every day and give my best because I got one fucking life and I'm not gonna waste it. He has used his hardships and life experience to reach others and inspire them to conquer their fears and pursue the life they have always dreamed of living just as he has. So Sean, I was looking through your Instagram and the first thing that struck me when I came across your page was that you spent 2007 days in prison developing an unstoppable mindset. And I want to sort of bring it back to your life before prison, before that experience. What did that look like? And what type of man were you before that? Well, I definitely wasn't a man. You know, I, I had to become a man when I was in prison. But prior to that, you know, I grew up in a really beautiful part of California, um, Santa Barbara, which is world renowned. People come here from all over the world to vacation look at the beautiful beaches and palm trees. And I was fortunate enough to call this home. And so I grew up, you know, with a really, you know, seemingly innocent life. I had a lot of friends in my neighborhood. We grew up in the suburbs, cousins, extended family that lived close by. So we we're always having birthday parties, barbecues, and large gatherings. And as a kid, I felt very secure, very safe and happy. And I had big dreams to be a professional athlete, most notably baseball. Man, I was obsessed with baseball. I would watch sports center on TV before school. I'd go to school and play sports at recess and just, you know, draw my little notebook during class, like plays and things I wanted to do. And then I'd come home from school and either go to practice or play with uh, myself or my friends in the street, basically until dark. And every day I was just, you know, pursuing this thing in my heart that I wanted to be this just calling that I had. But then around age 13, uh, my, my home life really broke apart and both my parents were battling with their drug and alcohol addiction, they left us. My dad got arrested in front of us at gunpoint one night and he was sent to prison. And my mother became addicted to drugs and alcohol and she abandoned us. So my siblings and I lost both of our parents pretty much overnight. You know, it's happened a couple months apart. And I went from this kid who had big dreams, who had all the ambition in the world and felt capable to carry out these visions to someone who was broken. I was just shattered by the fact that I lost both my parents. And I didn't know how to deal with that emotion, that trauma, you know, the impact of, of losing them. And so my first month in high school is when all this was taking place. I really just became a recluse. Like I started isolating myself from everyone that I had known, including old friends, family members, anybody that would bring up, oh, how is everything going, Sean? Oh, how are you doing? How are you coping? Like, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to talk about it. So I found a new group of friends to hang out with who were ditching school, who were struggling in their own life. And we would escape our problems temporarily by using drugs, drinking, and just, you know, finding our own little world where we could try to 
um, you know, escape reality. And so I was in denial, man, from 14 all the way up until I was in my 20s. I didn't do any of the things that brought me joy in life. I had no joy. I was really just um, lost. And so I was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol. I stopped going to school. I was getting in trouble. And I had no direction for my life at that point. So what happened afterwards? And that So I ended up going through that time in my life. And I was out of high school now. And then I'm working a nine to five job, manual labor. Um, just really no, no vision of my future, no hope for my future. I was really in survival mode. You know, my dad and my mother both were in and out of the, the picture my whole life and they were battling their addiction. And it was it was really difficult for me as a child to see my parents just committing that slow suicide and then bringing, you know, those demons home to us children, trying to deal with the conflict, trying to deal with the stress, trying to deal with just all the unknowns. Like, why is this happening to me? Why, why is my life turning out this way? You know, um, and just hopeless. Um, so ultimately, this led to me making bad choices and being around people who are making really bad choices. And one night in particular, I was at a party on the Mesa in Santa Barbara, California, which is a beautiful location with mansions overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It's beautiful, you know, like multi-million dollar homes, just gorgeous. And we were there for a house party. I was there with some with one friend and we didn't know anyone at the party. And we ended up seeing a couple of guys we knew. We were all drinking and socializing. Well, those two guys started getting a fight with um, some guys from the party I didn't know. And the fight turned out to be a massive brawl in the front yard of this house that I got dragged into. Like an idiot, I was there ready to watch a fight, seeing what was going on, and I ended up getting dragged into this melee and pretty much thrown into a car and tackled on the ground. And I thought a group of guys just picked me out of the crowd and were basically gonna jump me. I had been in a lot of fights or at parties where this happened uh, as an adolescent growing up, people are drinking by the end of the night, everyone's just, you know, looking for trouble, kind of egging each other on. And it usually ends up in some type of wrestling match or a fist fight. And I thought that this is what was happening this particular night. So I had this big person tackle me and they're on top of me and I'm trying to wrestle them and get them off of me. And I couldn't, this individual was just really heavy and I couldn't, but I couldn't move him. He wouldn't budge. And by the time he did, I scrambled to my feet and threw a couple punches at him, thinking I was being attacked. And then I fled. I heard my childhood friend who I went to the party with calling my name. And as I went towards him in the street and everyone's dispersing from this fight that just took place, he looks at me in horror and his eyes light up. He's like, Sean, you're covered in blood, man. What the hell? You know, just like that. And I look down and my arms and my face and everything is covered in blood and it's just dripping off of me. I couldn't believe what was happening. I really couldn't make sense of it because it was just such split second uh, moment to moment at that point. And so he took off running and I followed him. And then I heard sirens coming to the party and all these people yelling and all this commotion and the cops arrived and we actually left and went back to his house. And the next morning when I woke up, I knew something bad had happened. You know, I knew that this wasn't just a fist fight and the amount of blood that was on me. Somebody was seriously hurt. But the night prior, once we got to my friend's house, I was so heavily intoxicated, I could barely walk, let alone try to make sense of what had happened. And I just ended up passing out on its floor. The next day when I woke up, I Googled in my phone, fight at the Mesa. And it said two men are sta were stabbed last night at a fight on the Mesa. And one of them's in critical condition and he's in a coma. And right then and there, my heart just sank. I knew that something bad had happened. I knew that there was going to be repercussions. And in that moment, I thought that the police would come and look for me to try to 
question me about who stabbed these individuals and what was my involvement and try to really get me to maybe give them information or tell on the people who committed the stabbing. I never thought in a million years they had pointed at me as the main suspect, but they did. Everyone at the party came out once the altercation was already taking place. Whatever happened, whatever stabbing took place, no one saw that. Everyone at the party came out and they just saw this guy on top of me, me wrestling around with him and then getting up and throwing punches towards him and then leaving the scene. And he stayed face down on the grass and he had been stabbed so many times he was bleeding. And he literally died three times on the way to the ambulance. They had to use the defibrillators to bring him back to life. And he was in a coma and no one thought he was going to make it. So this was a very serious situation. And the cops and the forensic unit and the SWAT team came and arrested me the next day at gunpoint with their AR-15s and dogs barking at me. And they arrested me for attempted murder. So you're brought into custody. Then what? Well, yeah. I mean, that first 24 hours is just like a shell shock. It's real. You can't believe what's happening to you. You know, it feels like something out of a movie that, or a, a nightmare that you think you're going to wake up from. But I, I didn't wake up. You know, they booked me into the county jail. Um, I was coming off all the drugs and alcohol, so my body was in agony. Mentally, I was just so broken. I didn't know what was going on. And I was just awaiting my first day in court. And a couple of days later, they took me to court and I walked in and I was shackled up at the wrists and ankles. And as, I, as soon as I entered the courtroom, there's all these members of the news press there and they're taking my picture. And everyone's looking at me and there's whispers as I walk into the courtroom. And I see this woman approaching me and I realized it was my lawyer. So I was happy to see somebody who was representing me who could help me. But she only said one thing to me that day. She said, look, the judge and the DA are up there. They want to change your charges. They want to change your charges to homicide because the victim's in a coma and they don't think he's going to survive. And at that moment, I was in disbelief. I couldn't even grasp the severity and the reality of what was taking place. It almost felt like I was having an out-of-body experience where it just felt so surreal. Like, this can't be fucking happening right now, you know? Um, and... Nobody thinks they'll find themselves in that situation. You see it in movies. You've read about it in books or hear it from third, you know, through a third party and other people who've been through it. But no one ever thinks they could be in that moment. And so I sat there, man, in just such disbelief. And I went back to my cell and I was just alone. You know, I was in this small little six by eight cell where I stayed for 23 or 24 hours a day. And I had nothing but time to think and reflect about my life. And at that time... For a split second, I thought maybe that I was going to be in prison forever. Maybe that this was my fate and I was going to end up doing the rest of my my life in, in a prison cell, you know? And <clears throat> I sat there, man, and I just reflected on the life that I'd lived to that point. And I started looking back on those 23, 24 years, and I didn't see anything that made me proud of who I had been. There was not one thing that stood out to me that made me feel good about the way I'd lived. Now I'm thinking that my life's over. And that's scary in itself. But the agony that I experienced, the pain that I experienced for the regret of the way I'd lived was far worse because I had control in that moment. I could have done something with my life. I could have been that person I wanted to be. I could have lived differently. But instead, I let the issues at home affect me and how I showed up in the world. I never acted as my true self. I never played sports in high school. I didn't go after my dreams. I didn't show people who I really was. I held back. I hid behind drugs and alcohol, my pain, and I wasted all my life. And so I had to sit in that pain of regret in that cell, and it just ate me alive. And day after day, you know, I was feeling this regret, this depression, 
it was just tormenting me. And so in that cell, I was completely distraught, you know, going through such internal strife, man. Most people can't even understand what that's like. But imagine if you went to the doctor and they said you had a brain tumor and your life was over, right? Like, how do you react in that moment? Where does your mind go then? Or if you found yourself in a predicament like mine, where you were out watching a football game, drinking Guinness, right? And some guys started fighting with you and you threw a punch and he hit his head and died. Now you're going to jail for manslaughter. Like these things happen all the time and people take their life for granted. They take the people that they live with for granted. They have this passion, this truth in their heart that they never pursue and they waste away, man. And that was me making excuses, holding back, saying, I'll do it tomorrow, thinking I had more time. Well, guess what? My fucking time ran out. And then I was just sitting in that cell having to deal with the repercussions. And so that pain was worse than the thought of spending the rest of my life in prison. It was the worst pain I'd ever known. It burned a hole in my heart and soul, man. I can't even describe it to you. And something else changed me, though, in those moments. I realized that for the first time in my life, like, what was at stake? You know, what was at stake if we don't show up and live the life that we're being called to live? What is the conclusion or what are the outcomes if we don't take action every day to be that person? I got to experience it firsthand. And the way I interpreted that situation and those events was literally like I was dying. Like I felt like I was just dying. Like my life was over. And what changed it all for me was getting the second chance. And so that second chance came in the form of an internal shift that took place. You know, um, I stopped being a victim. I made a choice right then and there in that cell that no matter how much time I ended up doing in prison, I was going to fight to be the person in my heart I always wanted to be. And I think this is the main battle that we all face in life. It's who we want to be versus who we're settling for. Everyone settles for a lesser version of themselves. Everyone settles for mediocrity. Everyone does less. Everyone holds back. And they don't know what's at stake. They don't know that they're going to get to the end of their life and pray to God and scream out to the universe, please give me a second chance. I wish I would have tried harder. Like there's no do-overs, but people are living like there are. Like this is some rehearsal and it's not. And I got to experience that firsthand. So in that cell, when I felt this pain, something inside of me just wouldn't let me quit. It wouldn't. It was just this fight to persevere and overcome the situation. And partly because I knew I was innocent, but also because of all those wasted years, I wanted to make it right for that person. You know, there was something inside of me that felt like I could seek redemption to, to like validate that person's choices or to make it okay for that wounded, broken kid who got dealt that tough hand in life that you know, that, that situation that I was put in and make it right going forward into the future. So it's just like this internal dialogue that started playing over and over. And I made two promises to myself in that cell. And this came after I got a phone call from my lawyer. So one day I called my lawyer and I was still hopeful that they were going to find some information or a new witness would come forward and they'd be like, hey, Sean didn't do it. Like this guy did it or something, you know, and they'd let me out of that cell. I was delusional, right? And so he told me, he said, Sean, look, you're going to prison. That's a fact. We're not going to be able to change that for you. As of now, it's just a matter of how long you're going to prison for. And in that moment, man, I just felt so defeated because up until then, I was still a little hopeful that I was going to get released. And when he said that, I went and just sat in my cell on my bunk. And I remember I was just in silence. I was just in this deep thought and this reflection. And in that moment, something was ignited inside of me like this spark. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking fight this. Like not fight it in court. Like this was a spiritual fight that I had been losing my entire life. It was a spiritual battle, right? Who I wanted to be versus who I had been settling for. And I said, that guy's dead. This person I've been settling for, he's dead forever. I'm going to be my best self. This person, my heart is calling me to be my whole life. 
in every moment going forward for the rest of my life. And it doesn't matter if I'm in prison for 50 years or I get out in five. This is who I am from this moment forward. Nobody could ever take that from me. It was a promise and commitment on the deepest level you could imagine. And the second promise I made was that I would never touch drugs or alcohol ever again. Because drugs and alcohol had ruined my life, ruined my, fa my family's life, my parents. They killed so many people growing up around me. And I knew that I could never again touch another substance if I had a chance to persevere and get out of that cell. I had to make these promises to myself. And that became the foundation of my growth and my redemption. And from that moment, I never looked back. And it changed my entire life. And from there, I went through a lot of shifts and transformations psychologically, spiritually, and everything I was doing. But it was that promise and that commitment to myself that set the tone for the rest of my life. Unreal, man. It's the power of that silence, isn't it? The power of being in isolation for a period of time. And you've got no distractions, no noise, nothing. All you have is you and your mind. And those demons just come to life, don't they? And it's up to you then in terms of, okay. Now I hear you. Now I see you. Okay, am I going to fight this, or I'm going to, I'm going to die, or I'm going to, I'm going to lose, or they're going to completely consume me to the point where I can't take it anymore, and I'll have to find a way out. And that's that's a decision you could have made as well. You said you could have said, "Fuck, I can't, I can't live like this anymore," and you could have easily gone the other way and attempted to end it all which so many men do. And I think that's where you are at that point in that prison cell is a place where a lot of men have been in their lives or certainly a place that they will be in their lives at some point. And that's where you have a choice to make. And unfortunately, a lot of men take the choice of least resistance, let's call it, and just bow out of this life for want of a better term. What do you think... What do you think it was within you that avoided that decision or that averted your, your mind to going forward and fighting it versus succumbing to the, uh, I can't imagine, the huge amount of anxiety and grief and pain that you felt at that point? At that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> first of all, deep down in my heart, I knew who I wanted to be my whole life. Most of my life up to that point, I hadn't been living as that person. I had a lot of guilt and shame behind that. And I wanted to make it right, you know, for me on a personal level, like I couldn't go out like that. You know, it all started with me just wanting to be able to find a moment of peace or just a moment where I could be okay and content with who I was, you know, to be able to look in the mirror and be proud of who I was uh, and to vanquish those demons and those negative thoughts that were plaguing me, you know, so that's where it all started. Uh, I just felt like I had to fight and give it a shot, man. I couldn't go out like that. I was young. I was 23. Uh, I felt like if I could fight and persevere through that situation and experience the rest of my life, I would, I would live a life of greatness, man. Like that's the way I played it over and over in my head. Like if you overcome this, the rest of your life, is going to be different, you know? And so I just, it was this internal dialogue that started taking place with me um, and the willingness to fight, not continue using drugs, not to get involved in violent activities or, you know, gang activities, um, not to commit suicide. A lot of guys, commit suicide when they're looking at life in prison. A lot of guys go back to drugs and alcohol in their old ways. For me, it was just all about having the ability to go to sleep at night and be in integrity with who I wanted to be. Like that was it. I just wanted the torment, the pain, the anguish that I was experiencing was so severe that I was willing to do whatever it took other than get high and numb it out to find some solution. That was it. And so the solution was me living in alignment with who I knew I wanted to be. 
and being that person and letting go of the past and being willing to talk about it and accept the things I went through and no longer run from them, but understand they were a part of me. That was my story. That was my life. I couldn't hide from it any longer. And so the first step for me was just accepting my past and admitting it and talking about it and writing about it. I wrote my le- uh, my parents' letters of forgiveness from that jail cell that led to me feeling this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. You know, I was sitting there one day, and like you said, being in a cell for 23, 24 hours a day gives you nothing but time to think. That solitude is powerful because you uncover this voice inside of you, this dialogue that most people aren't receptive to. It's your truth. It's the fucking truth about your life and who you are and how you live. And you can't hide from it when you're in that little cell. There's no drugs to take to numb it out. It was just my truth. And it was sobering and it was piercing me to the core and I couldn't ignore it. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So it's the combination of sobriety, isolation, and the severity of my situation, life in prison, that made it so impactful. Like if I had been in jail just for a DUI and I was going to maybe do a year, it wouldn't have had the same effect on me. If I was still getting high from drugs and alcohol, or if I was in this open dorm with a bunch of people and I could stay distracted, it wouldn't have had the same effect on me. But it was because I was isolated in a cell with nothing because I was looking at life in prison. And now I had the clarity and these emotions and these feelings surfacing because I was sober. That it just all converged into this powerful shift that was taking place inside of me. And so here I am every day on my my rack, just like reflecting, sitting on my bunk, you know, um, and just these thoughts are streaming my consciousness, these realizations, these epiphanies. I felt like I was high on mushrooms or some psychedelic with all these like visions and feelings that I was experiencing. But I was just coming alive for the first time in so many years because I had been high and numb for 10 years straight, man. And so one of the most pronounced things I noticed is the ability to feel on a deeper level. Like these emotions were so powerful. And what's the initial shock and all wore off? What I noticed the most that swelled inside of me was like this desire, this affinity for love, this want to experience life and to be a part of it and to like give my best self to the world and be connected. Like I didn't have that before. But when I saw how close it was to being taken away, I I wanted nothing more than like to contribute to society, to be there for my family to show people who I really was, to experience things that I had never done before, to open my mind, to open my heart. There was just amazing shift that was taking place inside of me. So as this was going on, I was honest with myself about the things that could hold me back or that had plagued me. And the first thing that popped up in my mind was, hey, man, you have to let go of the past. And this came to me randomly one day as I was sitting there reading or writing or doing something, a thought struck me. And it was, hey, you need to forgive your parents. You need to let go of what they did. You need to forgive them. And initially, I was forgiving them because I was worried about them continuing to self-destruct or even dying while I was in prison because they felt bad about me going to prison, taking the blame, taking you know responsibility for their wrongdoings as parents. So initially, I was writing them letters to let them off the hook and say, hey, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm going to do my time. Everything's okay. But as I sat down and wrote these letters, I articulated events and situations and, and talked about my emotions in ways I never had before. And I was very detailed and articulate in these writings. And all of a sudden, man, I was getting like emotional. I felt this cathartic release. I I was crying. I was just feeling this weight lifted off my shoulders. And I really feel like I purged all that trauma and negative energy in those moments. And I sent those letters out. And after that, I felt different. I felt this peace inside of me that I had never experienced before. And it was because I let go of the past. And I accepted my life for the first time since those events had taken place. And then from that moment forward, I was able to really focus on who am I now and who do I want to become? 
And over time, the daily actions and this introspection started to result in clarity and this vision and this truth and this purpose of what I'm meant to do in this world and who I truly am at the core. And so each and every day went from feeling negative and you know sad and gloomy to actually exciting. Like I would wake up in prison excited to be alive, grateful to be alive, and on this journey of personal development and discovery. It was incredible. But I started to feel more grateful about my life, more excited to be alive than I ever had since I was a kid. And that's when something changed in me forever and it's never left. You wanted to live your best life, you give your best to society and to the world, but then you're taken away from society and the world and you're going to possibly one of the worst places you could ever go in your life to prison. How did you manage to maintain that enthusiasm and that drive whilst in that cell, in that in that prison during your sentence? Yeah, I remember thinking before I went to prison when I was being sentenced, this is what everyone out there feels, like the way I was starting to feel. This is what they've all been feeling and experiencing. No wonder everyone's out there thriving or most people, the people that I looked up to, I remember thinking, if I felt this way out there, man, I would have done amazing things with my life. If only I could have been out there with these feelings and this mindset. And it was that realization right there that gave me hope for the future. And the way I was feeling, I was focused on cultivating that energy every single day so that I could come home and share it with the world. That was the beginning of my purpose. Like, man, the way I'm feeling, I got to share this with people. I got to let them know, like, what I'm going through. I want everyone to feel this way. The world will be a better place. My family will be better off. Like I could have such an impact on people's lives if only they felt what I'm feeling right now. And so that became the catalyst of me showing up every day, developing habits, staying disciplined and focused, no matter how sad I became, no matter how lonely, no matter you know how far off it seemed. Every day I had hope because of that feeling. So I started waking up and just creating my own system or a set of routines that allowed me to hold on to that hope and like cultivate that energy internally so I could experience joy and fulfillment on a day-to-day basis despite being in prison. And ironically, being in prison where everything is negative and all the colors are black and gray and stainless steel and there's no, you know, there's nothing beautiful about prison, but ironically, it's the perfect setting to tap into that inner like strength and resolve we have within and to cultivate the person I needed to be to be successful in life in general. You know, so every day I'd wake up and I'd open my eyes and everything around me represented who I didn't want to be and what I didn't want to be a part of. So it was actually easier for me. I I talked to a lot of guys out here who have difficulty changing. A lot of the men I work with and coach, they have trouble changing their habits and behaviors because the pain threshold hasn't been met. So they're stuck in this like paradox where, you know, there's not enough urgency in their life to change because the pain points aren't there. The pain threshold hasn't been met. So it's easy to stay stuck. But for me, it was not. Every day was a reminder that I got to show up today. Today, I have to put in work. Today, I have to make progress. Today, I have to be my best self. I'm going to end up like that. And so I would get up every morning and I started cultivating a daily process to help me to tap into the mindset, you know, to tap into my spirituality and then to take action to move me forward in my life. And this started from the moment I opened my eyes. The first thing I would do is I would start to give thanks for being alive and tap into that gratitude and think of the fact that I have eyes. I can see colors. I can read pages in this book. Or, you know, I have family members that wrote me letters. I get to write them letters later. Like, they love me. They, they miss me. Or the fact that I have arms and legs. I can work out. Let me go show my gratitude through this workout. And everything I started doing from the moment I opened my eyes through my self-talk and actions was about how fucking grateful I am. Like, it doesn't matter that they took everything from me. They couldn't take that feeling and perspective 
no matter how long they kept me in prison for. And I realized that early on. So I would go into this self-talk and have my morning meditation, my morning prayer. Then I would journal out the same dialogue, the same feelings, and just reinforce it, reinforce it, reinforce it. But then my actions had to prove those sentiments to be true. Like if I got up every day and said, man, I'm so grateful to be alive. And then I went and got high or drank the prison pruno or got in a fight. Like that would be bullshit, right? That would be a total contrast. So every day, all my actions had to reinforce this internal dialogue that I was reciting to myself. And when I would do that day after day after day after day, it created this new belief system and really a shift in my identity. Like this is who I am. This is what I believe. Watch me. You know, so every day I was being mindful of my, my self-talk. I was tapping into gratitude. I was reading. I was writing. I was exercising. I just became this machine, this man on a mission of personal development, growth, and discovery. When I got to prison, I found out they had college courses. And that was amazing because now I was a student. You know, I was already an athlete. I was already this man on the spiritual transformation. Now as a student, every day I had something that represented my purpose and growth and progress to partake in. So when we were on lockdown, when stuff was going on, like I was in my cell reading books and writing papers, you know? I was cultivating like the perfect paper for my class. And I was like putting my mind beyond those walls. And I was a student and then I would work out. And now I'm an athlete, you know, and every moment in prison was spent being productive. There was not an instant where I felt like a prisoner at all in prison. And ironically, before prison, I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner trapped in my own mind, my own thinking, my limiting beliefs, my mindset, my insecurities, just like all the people in this society right now who are holding back. Because they're scared of not being good enough. They're worried about what people are going to say. They're scared of failure. And they literally are going to live a life far below their potential because of this mental prison they've cultivated. And they don't realize it. And so I was sitting in these cells at these different moments realizing, wow, I was a prisoner my whole life. And now I feel more free than ever before. Like, how ironic is that? And when I had those realizations, man, like, I felt like I could die right then and there. And I had found the secrets of life and that like I had figured it out. Like my life was complete. Every, everything since those moments has just been a bonus for me. It's been icing on the cake. Now I get to raise my beautiful children, be here with my wife, coach men and share these topics and these lessons with them, write books, travel and speak. This is all just a blessing. You know, I felt in that moment in, in those prison cells when I unlocked these truths within me and I acted them out that I had literally figured out the secret of life. And it just, I was overwhelmed by peace and gratitude, man, every single day in there. And it still, it blows my mind to be able to share that now because of how absurd that sounds. But there's <laughs> something very interesting that takes place when you experience extreme adversity and suffering and pain. Like, you know, there's this spectrum. And on, on the one end, it's like extreme pain and suffering and just agony. And you hear stories of people who have gone through the most horrific things, you know, um, Nelson Mandela, uh, Victor Frankl, you know, guys who have been in prison and guys who have gone through hardships. But then you see on the other end of the spectrum, like they're able to experience extreme enlightenment and peace and like this, this inner gratitude and self-love because they've been to such extremes on the other end. And I feel like that's what happened to me. Most people live in this, this area right here, which we call the comfort zone, which there's not enough pain. There's not enough to like get you tapping into the you know, the true core of who you are below this surface level bullshit that everyone gets stuck on. And for me, I was able to. And so I just feel and live differently now because of that. What was your greatest test in there? The greatest test. I mean, in prison, probably just that moment where I made the 
choice that I was going to fight. You know, prison was a blessing for me. You know, when you asked me that, my initial thought is like the, the, the test, like the test was getting to that moment and just getting that opportunity. It was an opportunity. Did you receive any, did you receive any pushback, any violence, negativity? Anywhere you go in life. Yeah. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be people that say stuff. There's going to be people who don't like you for who you are and what you represent. Um, But there was nothing that was strong enough to deter me. I mean, growing up, seeing both my parents kill themselves slowly, but surely, Uh, you know, I lost my mom when I was in prison. I lost my grandmother. Countless friends died. Like there was tests. But once I just made that promise to myself, in the county jail and made that commitment that I was going to fight for the rest of my life. All of those things were, you know, they were circumstantial. Like I was on a purpose driven mission. So stuff's going to happen, but the core of me and who I am and my essence, like wasn't going to change my whole life. I had been the opposite. You know, I had lived my life based on external circumstances, what he said, what she thought, how I should be for other people. What if I fail? What if, what if like, it was just this fear and doubt that plagued me, you know? So, I mean, the tests are what open you up to the opportunity for growth. And I embraced the test. Once I got through that first stretch of eight months in the county jail, there was always tests, but I started recognizing those were opportunities. So I just use a different word to describe the same event, right? These things would happen. And when I embraced them and reflected on them, I could learn and grow through them versus allowing them to defeat me and staying angry or resentful, which would keep me stuck. So every new prison I went to, there was a test. Every couple of months when someone passed away, there was an event in prison. It was a test. But all the while, I just kept moving forward. And I look at my life as either, you know, opportunities or moments of adversity that provide, you know, learning lessons. So I tell people all the time, there's nothing bad in life. It's either a good thing that happened to you that you've been preparing for that the universe brought your way or it's a test. That's it. You know, everyone says, oh, it's a bad situation. I can't believe that happened to me. Like, no, that's happening for you. It's a test. If you open your mind up to the lesson that could be learned. And you take from it and embrace it what you can, you're going to be better off because of it. But if you look at it as a negative or say, oh, man, that guy was a jerk. Like, why do you talk to me like that? Or, oh, why would that happen? Like, you're closing your, your mind off to the opportunity there. Were you presented with an opportunity to help others in prison as you help men today? Yeah. So it's, it's crazy, man. The first three years, I didn't want to talk to anyone. So I was very conscious of, like, protecting my energy and my mindset. And I think... That was also because I was still vulnerable. And I felt that if I socialized with people too much, maybe there was this hidden fear that I would end up going back to my old ways. Like I had to prove it to myself long enough to know definitively this is who I am and I'm never going to change. And so about three years in, I was just feeling so like sound and solid in who I was. Like I had reinforced these beliefs thousands of times through action, through self-talk, just every day through repetition. And I remember I felt like, okay, maybe I can share this with people now. Maybe I'm in a position where I can give back to some of these guys. And it just so happened that I was in a drug and alcohol program in prison where you're required to speak and share about your journey. And so I started doing so. By that point, I wasn't ashamed of who I was or what I had gone through. And I was willing to get up in front of other inmates and talk about it. Whereas most of the guys wouldn't. They would shut down. They were quiet. They didn't want to participate. And so I realized the more that I was opening up and sharing, the more likely they were. When I would be vulnerable and tell a story about my past, other guys started doing it too. And then they started noticing me back in the building and my daily routines. You know, I was very disciplined. I was focused. I had a regimented routine. And I was also positive and motivated most days in prison where guys aren't. And so they started approaching me and asking me questions about my discipline or, Sean, how are you so positive, man? How are you like so focused on being such a good person in here in prison? Aren't you like sad? Don't you get upset some days? 
or they wanted to work out with me. They saw that I was in good shape and they wanted to lose weight, build muscle, just something. There was something in them that they wanted to change. And that's when I started working out with these guys, getting them to take college courses and really mentoring dozens of other inmates in that time. And I'll never forget, I just had this moment of clarity where I thought, damn, this is my purpose. This is what I'm meant to do on this earth. I'm meant to help people. And it was just as clear as day, man. It was like my purpose was just unveiled to me right there in that moment. And from then on, I knew definitively that I was going to come home and serve people and share my story and make an impact on this world. And that's been my main focus ever since. Mm -hmm. I get this, get the sense that you reach that point where you feel, as you said, solid in yourself after three years. What is that? About a thousand days, let's call it. But now you've got another thousand days to go before you can leave prison. And the sense I get is that you have this urge, you want to break through those walls and and create a, a massive impact on the world with all that you've learned and all that you've you've grown and developed from in your own experience in prison. Was it difficult to endure that time, that the length of it? Or did yeah, you I mean, again you were, accept it? One of the things that I've been blessed with is the ability to have amnesia. Like I don't care about what I did yesterday and I'm not focused on tomorrow. Like I'm just in this moment. And prison teaches you that because if you think too much about the day you get out and you're like really like thinking about it, it causes you to feel anxious, angry, depressed. Like it, it creates a lot of negative emotions because you're focusing on something beyond your control. And so what I learned when I was fighting my case in the county jail and then just my time of incarceration was how to live in the moment and just focus on what I could control. You know, it's the ultimate test because our minds wander and we want to be forward into the future at a, a new date or we want to go back and fix something in the past or we're dwelling on it. But when we do that, it just creates either anxiety about the future or depression about the past. And that's what I went through in the county jail. And the only thing that helped me to combat those negative emotions was bringing myself to the moment and being present and focusing on something within my control that I could give all my energy to. And so that's something I started doing each and every day was just focusing on the moment and what I had control over and giving my best to that endeavor. And so doing that allowed me to maximize my time in prison to get much better results than I would have if I was worried about the future or dwelling on the past. And it allowed me to really just like take massive control over my mental state and my emotional well-being as well. And that's something I've continued to do out here to progress and to be grateful for the moment, what I have, but also, you know, align myself to success in the future and who I'm becoming. Mm -hmm. What was it like finally leaving that place? I mean, it's the best day of your life, you know, but it's also scary. People don't realize this. Like it comes with immense joy. And then there's a lot of fear that surfaces about, okay, here we are back out in this fast paced world. Like, now I'm, I'm nobody again. I have nothing. I got $200 in my pocket. I have no material items, no house, no car, no clothes. I'm staying in a trailer in my aunt and uncle's property. So I was immensely grateful and I was around family and that helped me so much, you know, but there's this hidden fear inside of you that you have to conquer all over again. And I think that's always going to be a part of us. It never goes away, especially when we enter a new chapter of life and something as big as coming home from prison. Like that's a monumental moment. So initially it was, I was overcome with joy and excitement beyond what you can expect, you know, or what I could describe. Like, I'll never forget the day I got out, my brother and sister picked me up and they bring you out in the back of this van beyond the perimeter of the prison. And they let out, they open the doors. And I remember just this sunshine radiating 
through the doors into my face and everyone else stepped out and I just stood up. I looked at the sky and I just saw the landscape of the desert beyond me and all the colors were so vibrant. You know, you could pick them all out and they just stand out so much because you've been staring at gray and stainless steel for, you know, gray brick, uh, gray cement walls and stainless steel for years. And then I saw my sister there and the sun was behind her. So she had like this silhouette and she just looked so beautiful. And I just yelled up at the sky, man. Like it was, I just let out this massive howl. Like all that energy that I had just been holding in, I was just releasing it back into the world. And it was so amazing to be greeted by my brother and sister. And we jumped in her car and started driving towards Southern California to the beach. And she has a sunroof. And I just stood up and had my arms up through the sunroof and my head out for like 30 minutes straight, just yelling, just screaming, crying, like overcome with joy, man. And I was back, you know, I was back and I was different. And I was on a mission. And I knew what I was up against because a lot of times people have these big aspirations and they get out of prison and again, they settle, you know, they settle for something less. And I could have easily done that because my uncle Mark owns a successful tree company here in Santa Barbara, you know, it makes millions of dollars. Like I could have managed his company and taken it over and been a multimillionaire easily. You know, um, he wanted me to help him with the company because he's getting older. So I could have been like, you know what, just being sober is good enough. Taking this position to set me up financially for the rest of my life. I can just meet a woman, have kids and live a decent life. And for some people, that's great. And that's what they want, but not for me. I knew in my heart that I had to push myself to become the greatest human being and give the most impact to this world that I possibly could because of what I went through, because of these breakthroughs I experienced in prison, because of my experience. Like I have a responsibility that's bigger than most because of what I experienced and what I learned through that experience. Like, it'd be so selfish for me not to share this knowledge and these insights with people who are struggling right now. You know, like there's people dying from drug and alcohol abuse. There's people who are suicidal. There's people who are depressed, letting their mind just fuck them over day after day. And they feel like they're trapped in an internal prison. Like, I can help them. I know what that's like. I went through that for 2000 days. I fought those demons. I vanquished those demons. Like, I killed that side of me. And I was able to tap into the energy and the person in my heart I always wanted to be. So how could I not come home and share that blueprint and this message with people who need it more than ever, right? That's how much I care, man. And so when I came home, I knew that I couldn't go down that route of mediocrity and I had to go out on my own and make it happen. And I did, you know, within two months, I left my aunt and uncle's property. I came back to Santa Barbara. I found an apartment, a car, and a job working in a gym as a personal trainer all within two months, you know, and I never looked back. I left that gym six months later started my own fitness company, started helping people all over my county. Then COVID shut the gyms down. And by this time I was married and I had a, a newborn, my son, Mason, who's my stepson was eight. And I had another baby on the way and all the gyms shut down, lost all my clients overnight. And I remember I was sitting in my wife's rocking chair at four in the morning going, fuck, what am I going to do? Now I have a family to provide for. You know and I remember thinking? This isn't the way it was supposed to work. Like I was supposed to come home and have this impact on the world and be this person and be somebody. And in that moment, I, I realized, man, these are the tests that help you to become that person. This isn't a detriment to you. This is an opportunity. And that's when I said, fuck, I'm not a fitness coach. I'm a life coach. I can help you with depression, suicidal thoughts, you know, in your relationships with yourself. Like I can help you develop self-mastery and take your whole life to a whole new level, just like I've been able to. And that was just my truth, man. I still have been just holding back or building up to that moment. So that's when I started going online and just sharing my story and being open, authentic, vulnerable about my past and what I had gone through. And it started catching fire with people. My life coaching business took off. And that was two and a half, three years ago. And I haven't looked back since. I've been able to 
speak on stages, write my book and have the impact I always dreamt of. And it's just growing and growing and growing. So I know my journey and my path. And I know that I'm just going to keep showing up every day and giving my best and never stop. And I'm excited for where it's going to go in the future. Likewise, man. What's been the greatest success story so far from that journey for you as a, as a coach for others? Well, it's being a father and a husband, honestly, man. Like the, everything else in life, the cars, the money, success, it doesn't mean anything if you can't be in the moment and feel that genuine gratitude and love for the people you're with. Like I've been there where I've been home and I have everything I ever dreamt of. And part of me is ungrateful in the moment. I have to check myself. And it's because I'm envisioning some future success I want. And I'm, I'm putting that on a pedestal over the moment I have. Like, fuck all that. I could die today. Like, if I die today in a car crash or something, I want my wife and kids to say, man, dad was the best human being I've ever seen. He was always showing us love and with us in the moment. And he just helped us to become better people. And that's the same energy I carry over into the clients that I serve. Like, when I talk to men on calls like this weekly or in my coaching program, my group coaching program, I always tell them. And I say, dude, this is for your fucking kids, kids, kids. Like, I don't like this isn't even about us. Like, this is bigger and beyond us, the ripple effect here. Like, you make these changes now and stop being selfish and thinking you need that drink or to sleep in or me, me, me. And you make it about your kids and their future and what they're going to be able to do because of the way you showed up now. Like, I see these men have this shift take place internally because they realize that it's not about them. And by being selfless, it's so much easier to partake in the daily actions that people call the grind and people get fatigued and tired over. It's like, you get to do this stuff, motherfucker. Like when you, when I was in prison, all I wanted was this right now. All I wanted was to run in the morning when it was raining out. All I wanted was to change diapers and have kids to take care of. All I wanted was to be up late after being up early, like just pursuing this vision. So for me, I share the same things with my clients that work for me to this day. It's I get to, like, this is a responsibility and I'm going to show up every day and give my best because I got one fucking life and I'm not going to waste it. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about Mason? Man, we were at his game last night. See, this is what it's all about right here, man. This is everything I just shared could be summarized in this story. So when I came home, Mason was seven and he didn't really have a consistent father figure. And he had a lot of emotional things that he was going through because growing up as a boy without a father in your life is one of the most difficult things you can endure. And so I was able to start building a relationship with him. And I was able to become a father much sooner than I anticipated. And I felt like God really put me in Mason's life or vice versa for a specific purpose. Because having your own children, like the love that you feel for them is instantaneous. But having a child that's not your biological child, it's almost even more special in the sense that you can build this love that transcends like those barriers. Like, oh, he's not my kid. He's not this and that. Like, I never thought that. I just wanted to be the man and leader and person in his life that he deserved because I knew what it was like to grow up without my father being that man, you know? And so building that relationship with him in a, in a, in a way that I hope makes sense right now, the way I'm describing it, it's almost even more profound than having your own biological children. Like if I could love him with that same affinity that I would naturally love my biological children and vice versa, how special is that bond and that dynamic, you know? And um, so you know, the last four years, it's been amazing. And he still had some emotional stuff that he goes through because he's back and forth between my presence and, and his biological fathers. And I think it's been very confusing for him. So all the while, I've just been doing my best to be supportive and just be the leader through my example and through my actions that he needs to see. And I know that he sees it. And I know that he feels my presence. And I know he's learning the right things because I'm living the right way. But yesterday, he got the game ball in baseball. And what that means is you're like basically the MVP of the game. 
Well, last week he had a game and it was his first baseball game in organized sports. And he's playing in a league with all these kids who have been playing since they were really little. Now they're in sixth grade. So he was intimidated. He had only had a couple practices before then. He doesn't know all the rules, but he's pushing himself to get out there. He's pushing himself beyond his comfort zone. He's facing these fears inside of him about, am I good enough? Can I do it? What are the other kids going to say about me? All the stuff we all deal with. But last week, he was paralyzed by an anxiety attack and he couldn't play. And it broke my heart because there was nothing I could do. And physically, you know, you could see the look on his face that he was not right. He couldn't really talk and articulate himself. And he was having a panic attack. And so after the game, we just spoke to him about that incident and why it happened and tried to be there to support him. And then all throughout the week, we got into these different practices uh, with different coaches, hitting practice, and then a practice with his team. So now he had more experience with them in a less pressure or stressful type of situation. And then yesterday we went there with them to the game and I spoke to him about, Hey man, you've been practicing. You're getting better every time. This is just like practice. You know, it's just with people watching, of course, and you're wearing your uniform to just remind yourself of how you didn't practice and how you were hitting the other day and how you were fielding the ball. And sure enough, he got out there the first play of the game, a really like fast pitch came down the plate and a line drive was hit at him. He caught it and threw the guy out at first base and got the first out of the game. And his first at bat, he got on base. And like, that was such a big, like, that was such a special moment for him because he faced this fear and he proved to himself that he could do it. And I don't even think he realizes how significant that's going to be for him going forward into life. Because the worst thing as a parent is seeing your child suffer a struggle and know that you can't do anything specifically about what they're experiencing. Like you can be there to support them, to love them, talk with them, but it's something internally that they have to go through on their own. And I watched him conquer that fear and that like internal doubt about who he could be in life. And that sets a precedent, man, for how he's going to show up going forward into his life. So it's a beautiful relationship and I couldn't be more proud to be in his life. Incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a, uh... That's almost touching, man. It's, um, um, I don't get moved too often on these calls, but that is, uh, that's a moving story and, and the incredible impact of that and the love and the dedication that you show towards him. I, I see him on your uh, social media and uh, I read through a couple of posts about him as well. So that's why I asked about him. And also my son is called Mason. So there's a, yeah. there's a similarity there. Yeah. So I, I get it. And yeah, incredible. If there was a man listening to this, this evening and so far man your story has been incredible definitely it's up there with one of the best podcasts i've done so far i've almost got 100 recorded so amazing stuff if there's a man there who's in his own prison cell let's say what's the first step to freedom well i mean the first step is you have to be honest with yourself if you think you can keep drinking here and there if you think that you can keep half-assing it in your life and you're going to get different results you got to stop lying to yourself and then you have to make it about something bigger than just you like if you're looking at your kids and you're not showing up as the man that they deserve, if you have discord in your relationship with your wife, if you're physically not fit, not in the best shape you could be in, like if you're not actively looking for ways to improve your skill set and make more money and provide, like what the fuck are you doing? You know, a lot of guys need just that brute honesty and that tough love because for a long time as a coach, I would try to guide people along and make it, I guess, not easy, but not too difficult. Like I didn't want to, <clears throat> I didn't want to get on them too much and then, make them backstep or like, you know, pull back. But that's what everyone needs. You need to be uncomfortable. That's why you're stuck right now because you're trying to be too comfortable and change. And the only way you're going to change is by getting uncomfortable enough to shift that mindset that's keeping you stuck and kill that bitch voice that's allowing you to give into your excuses and find reasons why you're not taking action. 
That's it. Nothing's going to change until you become extremely uncomfortable. It's just the way that your brain is, is going to be functioning. It's the way your brain's made up, right? So the what I do with the men that come to me is I make them get extremely uncomfortable from day one. They pick a really early wake-up time, like 4 in the morning or 3.30. That's, like, absurd. Everyone's like, you wake up at 3.30 every day? Like, yeah, motherfucker, my life has purpose, and that's how bad I want it. So I'm going to show you. Why would I sleep in on a day if I had a purpose that I'm here to serve? Like on Christmas morning as a kid, did you sleep in? No, because you had something exciting to get up for. Why is your life not exciting? Why don't you have this dream that you're chasing? Why aren't you becoming that person every day and looking at your life like you did on Christmas morning as a kid? That's your fucking problem. That's where I'm going to start helping you to fix is your mindset around your life that you get to live. Not complaining about your job, complaining about your kids, making excuses, and then living this meager life. I'm not here for that. And I'm not going to let you settle for that either. So I hold these men to the standard that I hold myself. And I talk to them just like I talk to myself when that inner bitch is trying to take over, when my excuses are trying to take over, when my negative self-talks try to take over. How do I vanquish those thoughts? How do I stay focused? How do I stay grateful? Right. So I share all that with them. So I make them get up really early, work out every day. And then I teach them how to follow a strict nutritional approach that requires discipline. Like if you find pleasure in eating shitty food, like that's a lower level self, right? Like if you're purpose driven, you don't find your purpose through food. You find your purpose through creating and becoming, not consuming, right? So there's a big shift that takes place. And those three things I've found that have a massive impact on one's ability to form discipline and then eventually their confidence and belief in themselves. Because if you can get up every day at four, no matter what, no matter what time you went to bed, no matter what your excuses are saying, work out and push your body and get through something difficult that always results in you feeling better after and revving up that internal engine and like elevating your internal state through movement. And then you can be disciplined throughout the day when everyone's eating chips and Subway and sandwiches and pasta and all this crap. And you eat food that fuels you, that drives you to become that person that provides clarity. Everything you're doing is an investment in yourself. And those disciplines are an act of self-love. And if you do that over time, you shift, your identity shifts, you elevate yourself. And you show up into a room with different energy, right? People see the look in your eyes. They hear that tone in your voice, that passion, that conviction. Your wife and kids feel your presence differently. The people in work feel your presence differently. And all throughout the world, everything you do, you start to vibrate and show up as a different individual. So that's what I teach these men. It's like, really, it's about cultivating the proper energy through these daily disciplines and having the commitment to become one's best self by literally showing yourself love through your actions rather than sabotaging yourself. If you look at most individuals that are not happy, that don't have the results they want, Look at their behaviors. What category is it in? Self-love or self-sabotage? Most people are just doing everything that contributes to self-sabotage. Sleep in, eat bad food, smoke weed, drink, complain about your life, argue with your wife, be mean to your kids. Like you're doing everything to make your life worse. So let's fucking shift that and make you do difficult things every day that actually help you to feel good about who you are. So when you look in the mirror, you love yourself. So then you can share that love with your wife and children and everyone you come into contact with. Mm -hmm. Did he survive? Yeah, the victim in my case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he made a full recovery, man. It was a miracle. That's how I know that I have a purpose bigger than me and that I've been gifted with this purpose for a specific reason. Like he died four times on the way to the hospital. The events of that night, in the events of the night that I got arrested, like anybody watching this, this is my book. President of your own. So I go into great detail in that book about the second to second, you know, moment to moment events 
in that altercation that led to me being accused as the assailant and eventually convicted. You couldn't make this shit up. Like, I know that there was divine intervention in that situation. I just know it. Like, you couldn't choreograph that, like, any better. Like, if it was in a movie and you wrote it up, people would be like, oh, no way that could actually happen. Like, from the things that people saw leading up to the fight, from the things that people said to the police, from the actual, like, altercation itself, everything was created perfectly to make me look like the attacker and then to convict me for the crime I didn't commit. And that's how when that all happened, I literally just had to surrender and be like, fuck, something greater at work here. Like, this doesn't just happen. And I actually believed that it was happening for me, not to me. How crazy is that? But it's turned out to be true. And I turned that belief into my truth through nonstop repetitive action ever since that day. Incredible story, man. And I'm totally inspired here. And uh, I'm so grateful that I stumbled across your Instagram and had this conversation with you because I know this is going to have a massive ripple effect onto everyone who hears it. And yeah, uh, thank you. That's all I can say, man. And Likewise, brother. I appreciate for, you having me on. Yeah, unreal, man. So for anyone who wants to reach out to you, check out your work, but you've got some brilliant content on your Instagram. Um, is that the best place to get you at? Yeah, Instagram or Facebook at Shaw Michael Crane. Um, you can reach out to me privately through the DMs or uh, check out my website, prisonofyourown.com. You can reach out to me there as well. Sweet. Thank you so much. All those links will be below in the show notes, everyone. So go check it out and yeah, be inspired all the more. Thank you, Sean. Keep up the good work. Right on, brother. Thank you.